Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, September 5th, day 8 of the 2022 U.S. Open, officially in the books. This may be the day we look back on as the day the year's final Grand Slam officially got started. Of course, why do I say that? Because for the third consecutive year, we will have a first-time men's single slam champion crown in New York. That's right, folks. With Francis Tiafo's four-set victory over Rafa Nadal, Carlos Alcaraz's five-set victory over Marin Cilic, all eight players remaining in the men's singles competition are looking for their maiden Grand Slam singles crown. That means it is going to be an action-packed second week in New York, of course. That's just the men's single side. On the women's side, three of your four fourth-round matches yesterday go the distance you had. All the drama at night, that was Arena Sabalenka's three-set victory over Danielle Collins. You had Iga Sviantek pushed to the brink. Another three-set win for Iga, though. She knocks out the awfully talented young Julie Niemeyer. You have Pliskova, Gula continuing to thrive. So many storylines for us to discuss here on today's show. As such, I had to bring in my big guns. And as you listeners know, we here at Crack Rackets are immensely grateful to the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point who understand the necessity of providing a daily podcast to tennis fans. You need it if you're going to follow all of the storylines that emerge day in, day out across the tennis world. And given We have a cornucopia, SAT word for all of you listeners, of things to discuss on today's show. I figured it would be appropriate to make today a modified Tennis Point Tuesday and bring in our guy from Tennis Point. He's got some takes. I know he's ready to fire off about this U.S. Open. It is our friend Nate Walrith. Nate, there are few other guests I could think of to do this show with than you. I am, as you can tell, amped for today's podcast. How are you feeling, my friend? Amazing, my man. I think you're so amped you forgot today is the 6th, man. So I just want to make sure our fans <laughs> know that it's September 6th. We're not predicting the future. We actually saw these matches. No, but I know you and I were up really late. That, that uh, Alcaraz Chilich match took us over 2.30 a.m. So it's uh, not a lot of sleep, but it's the best time of the year. Unbelievable tennis being played in Flushing Meadows. And I know you and I are just hyped to kind of talk about it and dive into the action. I mean, what a star-studded day yesterday we had from the beginning. Um, yeah. It's unbelievable. This, this event never disappoints. Happy that we got to be out there for a week and uh, the rest of the Tennis Point team still out there. First time a, a, a tennis retailer has had a presence at a Grand Slam, so that's pretty cool. And uh, we've got a really cool location at Louis Armstrong right behind the uh, ground. So 
um, yeah, awesome, awesome stuff for, for Tennis Point, awesome stuff for the tennis world. I love to hear that. I will say, and you're really getting to see how the sausage is made today, Nate. I will point out, it took me three tries to get the introduction right before today's podcast. So I'm really working my way into form today. Perhaps I was too excited to start the show. The other reason I date it Monday, September 5th is because we're talking about Monday's action, right? So I don't want our listeners to be confused. We're talking about Monday's action. We are recording, though, as Nate revealed early Tuesday morning. And the reason we're recording early Tuesday instead of late Monday night is because that Carlos Alcaraz match went till what, 2.30 a.m.? Something yeah. crazy like that. And obviously, yeah. Nate and I were both watching, but I was going to force Nate to stay up another hour plus so that we could record the podcast early. I think I was, I think I was ready. I think I didn't get the best yeah. at 5 a.m. <laughs> yeah, that's why, you, that's why you didn't sleep much last night. You were just so ready to fire off the takes. It would have been I therapeutic. Was. No, we're, we're ready to go today. Yeah, no doubt about that. And I'm happy to hear things are going well at Tennis Point. Obviously, tennis-point.com, your home for all of the latest and greatest tennis equipment at the best prices. Of course, we have the chance to hang out with you for the Tennis Point College Showcase and throughout the action in Cincinnati. And of course, Tennis Point so vital in supporting everything that happens at the Western and Southern Open. Before we get into this action, what's going on? At Tennis Point, tell me about the latest and greatest. It's been a busy month, I imagine. For sure. I mean, obviously, this time of the year always provides a lot of new collections being released, a lot of new racket colorways and designs being released. I'll start off with um, the, the, the Adidas collection, the Nike collections, where both are in now, players' gear is available. And as far on the racket side, guys, check out the new Head Extreme that you see Matteo Berrettini rocking, the new Wilson Ultra that – Isla Tomlanovich is using is, is about to be in as well. And the new Pure Arrow that you see, Carlos Alcaraz, um, Daniel Collins, a bunch of other stars on the tour. So, um, and then our, our shoes. I mean, guys, new Joe Resolution 8 limited edition colorway. You can find only at Tennis Point is available now. So a lot of awesome stuff. Be sure to check out um, our website for the latest and greatest deals. What have you thought about the U.S. Open collections? Um, that's a good question. I think <laughs> that's a good question. I think I was bummed that Tsitsipas lost only because I thought that was the strongest kit that Adidas had. The all black was mm-hmm. a very good look for, for Tsitsipas. Um, the barricade colors from the Adidas are, 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 are they're solid. They're solid. Um, not my favorite. I, I thought the Felix colorway was not mm-hmm. my favorite, but uh, the Nike collection, I think a lot of these guys, I like the orange or the orangish reddish. I'm, I'm, I'm colorblind, so it's a little tough for me, but the orangish reddish color, I'm a fan. Tiafo, Shapovalov. Uh, Alcaraz, all these guys are repping Holger. I thought they all looked pretty, pretty nice. I thought the Rafa kit was amazing. He went from the maroon to the white top. Rafa looked uh, dressed dressed to the nines. Um, no, I think a lot of these a lot of these kits are, are solid. I think we we had a uh, let's see a penguin. Let, let me shout out some of that I don't shout out often. Shout out the penguin. Uh, we, we started carrying some of their their latest men's stuff. I'm a fan. The, the, the shirts I think for, for guys. Check it out. Something different, different material, and uh, just something other than your your, your typical night gear. Adidas. I don't mean to disrespect Fila. Over under six months till Riley Opelka's wearing Penguin. I'm dead. That's funny. You think that's a good shout out? I, I didn't. That, that's a good. Isn't that I'll the perfect he, player brand? That is, like that is. or or it's, like Tommy Paul and Penguin. Tommy Paul looks pretty good in New Balance. I have to yeah, say. Yeah, no, we, we I, I'm sorry. No, I love New Balance. I love the team at New Balance. It's time. Hashtag bring Tommy back to Nike. Like it's just oh, time yeah. for the king to return. That's no, I agree. I, I'm because Tommy's such a marketable guy. I mean, 
He's no, handsome. He is. He is. And his Instagram alone, he's going to show you love. Like, he's going to throw a carousel together of like 10 fire picks. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm surprised nobody's grabbed him. New, yeah, I guess New Balance is dropping, dropping a bag. No, I mean, shout out to New Balance. They are doing a great job. Uh, the shoes, uh, the, the Coco shoes, I'm a big fan of those. those uh, oh, I, I think they've killed all the women's gear. I think it mm-hmm. all was – I think those, U, those U.S. Open lines were a hit. I agree. Adidas was a little shaky. I did like the U.S. Open Nike line. I was in. I can say these things so that you don't have to. Um, that said, you're right. Penguin – I have enjoyed some of the different brands. What was Danielle Collins walking, rocking? It was like Water, water Drop. drop. Yeah, I don't. I'm not familiar with Water Drop. I don't know if that's a company that is sponsored. I know she doesn't have an apparel line. Uh, yeah. uh, partnership right now. She's. I know she's on the market looking for one. I'm sure she's waiting for the uh, little payday. Yeah. No. I. My only complaint is that last night Elkaraz was in Nike. Chilich was in Fila, I believe, or had one of the two. Show to the head. Yeah, and they were wearing the same shirt. And it was like, what are we yep. doing here? Like, we couldn't have coordinated yep. a bit and said, hey, no, 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 I'm wearing the Russia shirt. Like, do you got, do you mind not wearing the Russia shirt? Because I'm going to do that tonight. And Carlos could have just been like, okay, I'll wear one of the 20 other options available to me. I don't understand. I, I think I'm allowed to say this. I think with the Nike, for example, or Adidas, like, I just don't understand why you would want to put your top players, which are have the biggest eyeball grab, like, why would you want to suit them in the same colorway? Same yeah. outfit, sure, but like change the colorway. So you, I mean, give them an option, I guess, to, so they can show some. But it's like you see these guys suit up in the same colorway over and over, and they'll. But I, I think it's and it's, a, it's a small salary, especially for two weeks. You don't have to pay this person a lot. Just get them a hotel room, meals, and honestly, you can give them minimum wage. And their only job is to show up before the match. And when the players walk out of the locker room, they get to say, "Ah." Eh, no, like, let's try that again. Like, and all due respect, he's the higher ranked player, so you have to change. Like, so, because we're uh, not doing this. Like, it's just like one coordinator. It's not that tough of a job. No, it's true. You uh, could honestly it, throw that onto a volunteer's job and be like, hey, volunteer of the day gets to be the outfit coordinator tomorrow. Like, that's how we're going to motivate the troops. Um, and it feels like it's a pretty easy fix, Nate Doug. Oh, my God. I think you spoke it into existence. I think they're going to take up our idea right here. Eric Budrak, was... I know you sometimes listen to these shows. That's a that's a, a layup at next year's Cincinnati. Good volunteer gig right there. I might sign up for it. Yeah. <laughs> Wanted. Like you have to send like five pictures of your best fits, and they're, they're, like, they're like, okay, this, this person can hang. I will say, shout to Medvedev. I thought that Lacoste Technifiber uh, yeah. combination looked looked pretty fire. Yeah, no, and I'm even in on the on the Kyrios jersey look. Like it it's it's wearing he, on me slowly but surely. The black undershirt with the with the uh, tank. It's no, he he pulls it off. The, the hat has also grown on me. At first, I didn't know about that weak, flimsy Bill hat, but. I, I guess it's his look. And he's he, he's dominating with it. So yeah, we'll to each it. their own. Also say. Yannick Sinner has never looked skinnier than he looks just like every every match. I'm just like, this guy might actually be the all-bones team. Like, it's out of this world. After, like, the first or second set when his shorts are, like, so freaking <laughs> wet, they're just, like, stuck to his legs. He's just a slender body. Just one, like, there's no, yeah, just 
I texted one of my buddies who I played club tennis with who we were getting in the Sinner versus Alcaraz debate. And I was like, dude, the only reason you're anti-Sinner is because you see how skinny he is and you realize if you could have worked harder, you would have been a pro tennis player because my buddy is also immensely skinny. And I'm just like, it's skinny envy. I'm like, he's just giving all of us skinny guys no more excuses. Um, (laughs) It's just like, yeah, the guy, it's crazy to see. Like every time he slides, I'm 100% sure his kneecaps Kevin Ware and like coming out of his body and it just like it doesn't it's 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 something else no he's just, yeah speaking of him his athleticism is on a different level right now yeah he just, and he grew into his shoes no no doubt about that and again for a pair of yonix inner shoes or all of the latest apparel turn to tennis point of course you go to tennis-point.com today you'll find everything you're looking for use our promo code cr15 you'll get 15 percent off all orders free two-day shipping exceeding on all orders exceeding 75 dollars best of all a free can of wilson extra duty tennis balls tennis-point.com the promo code is cr15 with that said i want to talk more about yonix inner I want to get into Carlos Alcaraz. I want to talk about the gift from the tennis gods that is uh, that Alcaraz in our quarterfinal. But before that, let's look big picture and let's have the men's conversation real quickly as we get into our men's action for the third consecutive U.S. Open, Nate. There will be a new Grand Slam champion crowned in New York. Of course, in 2020, it was Dominic Thiem who knocked out Alex Zverev. Last year, it was Daniil Medvedev knocking out a, you know, fatigue to the brink, Novak Djokovic, not to discredit anything from Daniil Medvedev, but I don't think it was the final we were all hoping for. This year, any combination is in play. And again, you look at the field, the oldest player remaining in the field is Nick Kyrgios, who was born April 1995, which is six months before I was born. So, you know, it really does feel that why I bring up that perspective, it feels like we finally have a first next gen slam where all of these guys were part of that next gen or that second next gen uh, campaign on the ATP tour. I mean, again, of the names remaining. Kyrgios, who is a little bit older, but obviously is associated with that group. You have a Karen Hatchinoff. He played in the inaugural Next Gen games. Berrettini played in those inaugural games. Casper Ruud has played in those games, as has Sinner, as has Elkaraz, as has Rublev, as has Tiafo. The Next Gen ATP campaign has come to fruition. We finally get one of these pecking order slams. Who is going to be the guy in the you know post-Nadal, post-Djokovic landscape? Now, of course, it's worth noting because there will be some listeners who are screaming at their radios right now or however you're listening to this at your headphones. Well, Novak Djokovic wasn't even in the field. And if he was, he would have been the prohibitive favorite entering the event. It's a very good point, and it's something we'll have to keep in mind as we move into 2023. That said, if vaccination requirements aren't going to change, and this is just what we're looking at from a landscape perspective going into Australia or going into New York next year as well, this is an excellent chance to sort of sort things out. And I'm curious with you, Nate, because big picture perspective, I mentioned this at the top of our show, I'm amped. 
like this is what we've been talking about at Cracked Racket since we founded these podcasts back in 2017 is to see, okay, who is going to step up? And the fact that you have guys like Kyrgios, Hachinov, Berrettini, who are the older statesmen of the bunch, was the, you know, Hachinov 2018 Paris, Kyrgios is Nick freaking Kyrgios, and Berrettini has now, you know, made a Wimbledon slam final in his last four losses at the slams are Djokovic, 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 Nadal. Uh, we know what the we thought we know what those three guys are, but they all have the opportunity to elevate themselves. Obviously, Rude made the French Open final. Sinner Alcaraz is the next gen 2.0 going to outshine the next gen. I am thrilled. Like I know we don't have Nadal. I know we don't have Djokovic. I know we don't even have world number one Daniil Medvedev. We don't have Zverev. We don't have Tsitsipas. And yet I'm thrilled with this group. Like, I'm really happy with how things shook out. Where are you, Nate? I think, Leah, first off, it's just been awesome to see new faces kind of break through and have their moments in the brightest lights on Arthur Ashe. And I think a lot of this credit to me goes to Nick Kyrgios. I think he kind of put the uh, the chick in the body armor, uh, like with Daniil Medvedev and other players all summer long. He continued to show up even against Novak, which he lost in, uh, at Wimbledon. He showed that these guys are susceptible to, like, having some bad days and looking like you can take the offensive. And I think when guys like Tiafo see Nick Kyrgios go head to head with these guys and just have that level of belief and just ability to bounce back and not get startled by a tough stretch or getting broken and stuff. And they, they, they pull through. I think they're like, Oh, like these are one of my guys that I've, I've competed with. I've beat, or I've had good matches with if, if Kyrgios can step up and take down the world number one and uh, on the biggest stage, then I can do it myself. And I think, we saw that Tiafo had that type of mentality going into the match. I mean, he talked about it. He's like, I'm going to go after Nadal. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Like, I believe. I think my stuff's good enough. Like, I'm, I'm ready to come after him. And, I mean, he did. I mean, from the jump and uh, that level of belief, I don't think that existed a few years ago, uh, especially before uh, COVID and stuff. I feel like, think that the, the big three was still seen as an echelon that was not achievable to some of these guys. And I think since then, you've seen guys like Medvedev and Kyrgios and Zverev and Felix and Center and Alcaraz kind of break through. Now these guys kind of see that they're that they can have their chance and, and take advantage. And now we're seeing the, the breakthroughs that we finally uh, they've kind of all been waiting for. Well, to your point, I agree. It is the totality of what they've done because obviously Zverev's done it in bunches, Medvedev's done it in bunches, Tsitsipas has done it in bunches. But you're right, this season to see you know, the teenagers or the 21-year-olds like Sinner and Alcaraz do their thing. And, you know, again, for a guy like Francis Tiafo, who's been in the mix, those are his peers throughout the course of the juniors. And as he's been rising up the ATP rankings to see a Taylor Fritz win an Indian Wells, Tommy have the success that he's had over the past mm-hmm. two months. Yeah. It, it yeah. just, it was a flood rush. You're right. It was the totality of things where you, you take enough bites out, out of the apple and eventually, you know, I don't know where the end of that analogy goes, but you've taken enough bites out of the apple. And, you know, with that in mind, let's get into that Tiafo Nadal match because holy shit did Francis Tiafo play excellent tennis throughout the course of this match. And I said it in our preview uh, of the match on our Ace of the Day segment that I really liked the way Tiafa was hitting his backhand return, in particular against Diego Schwartzman, was just taking it on the rise over and over again. And even when his first serve was failing him, his combination of aggression and physicality just pulled him through that match in straight sets. Yesterday against Nadal, the first serve 
from a percentage wise was struggling, but man, was the serve clicking. And that just the whole game, all the chess pieces for Francis Tiafo came together in this beautiful swoon. And again, for Tiafo, 6-4-4-6-6-4-6-3. I could make an argument, Nate, that he should have won the match in straight sets. And you look for Tiafo. 18 aces on the day. Now, he only made 50% of his first serves, but won 76% of his first serve points, 60% of his second serve points. And here's the big number. 49 winners yesterday, Nate. 28 unforced errors. Now, even if I think these U.S. Open statisticians are being a little generous in what they call a forced versus an unforced error— I think that's an accurate representation of what we saw from Francis yesterday. Whether it was starting with the first serve, the plus one ball, his ability to drive the backhand down the line just to keep Nadal honest, or his ability just, I'll never understand how his forehand works, but it just does. Yeah. It was like anything you've ever imagined Francis capable and of it, doing, yeah. you saw it yesterday. Even his ability to push off and get to the drop shot with ease and have the finesse to redrop or angle it, like, Everything was working. I mean, he looked explosive. He looked fresh. He looked like he was, I mean, his fitness level is incredible. And now he's able to do the things that his athleticism lets him do over the long haul of the match. I mean, the, throughout the course of the match, he dominated. He played on his terms. In the second set, he had a bad service game, which he got broken and ended up losing the set. But other than that, I mean, that match was on his racket. I mean, I, I know Rafa didn't have his cleanest performance, especially from the baseline. Wasn't it? Wasn't playing very confidently, but I mean, that was a lot of because of what Tiafa was going off both wings, just dictating, stubborn on the baseline, not letting Rafa push him back with the heavy toss and backhand. And I feel like the story of this U.S. Open has been the, the backhand. I mean, whether it's Coco Golf, Nick Kyrgios, Francis Tiafo, these people that I mean, you cannot pick on these on these guys' backhand. I mean, Tiafo consistently dominates with the down the line, and then his, he can cross court short angle the ball as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, just all types of problems for Rafa all night long, and Rafa never looked comfortable. He also had – he battled through the, the roof closing. Rafa had had some um, – asking the crowd to stop a couple of times on his serve, which caused Tiafo a double fault or two. There were some things that Tiafo, like an, a, a couple of years ago, a younger Tiafo would have been flustered by and probably kind of slipped up a little bit. But Tiafo is in a much more mature mindset, and what he was able to do over that three-hour-plus three match was incredible. And I think he turned a lot of heads, and – I mean, just a huge win for American tennis to have a guy in the final eight at the home Grand Slam and a guy that has the charisma that Tiafo possesses and just have the juice and just someone that embraces the bright lights and loves playing the big matches. Just a, a big win for the USDA. No doubt about that. I, it's funny. Of late, and I don't know how it happened, but the night before the Wimbledon final, it was like 2.30 a.m., and I got a call from a kid who a kid a guy my age uh who was in my fraternity in college who I moved out of the fraternity house sophomore year I don't think I've spoken to him since and he (laughs) called me at 2 30 a.m and my first like reaction was like oh my god this guy might be in prison and like they're like you have three minutes to make a call and he's like well Alex Gruskin is at the top of the list on my contact so like maybe he'll pick up because I have three minutes go and I was like like what else could he possibly be calling me about 
And it turned out he was just calling me about like, hey, I want to play some bets on the Wimbledon men's singles final. What do you think? And I was like, that's hilarious. I was like, really? Like, you're calling me? And he's like, yeah, dude. Like, some of us see the show and like, it's funny, whatever. And I was like, really? You guys see the show? Like, that's not allowed. I'm not making this for people who I was in a fraternity with. Um, but all of that. Same thing, guys. I just asked Russell for all his bets. So I, I, no, make, I, I make a lot of money off him. It's different, though. It's, it's a different. The point is. <laughs> And so I chatted with him, and then recently I've been chatting with my college roommate from my freshman year who was also in the fraternity, and look, I was not the best freshman year roommate. I'll just say it from the start. I was not the cleanest. I kept weird hours because I always have. Like, I get, you know, Ben and I, my college roommate, we're not the closest at this point anymore. I'm closer with some of my later roommates when I had my things together, Um but he and I have been chatting a lot more recently, and he. Uh, all this is to say, the reason I bring this up is I've enjoyed chatting with him of late, and he was at the match yesterday. And I, I think I'm going to try and get him on the show re- uh, soon because he might be the funniest person I know. Um, and he was just telling me, he's like, first and foremost, Tiafo is just a specimen of athleticism. He's like, until you see it in person, that there's not an ounce of fat on Tiafo. that just, again, in terms of pound for pound, the power he's able to generate, the, the quickness of his first step, that rally they played where Tiafo tracks down the drop shot, Rafa gets the stretch return back, Tiafo stretches out on the backhand and still flicks that ball back. Rafa obviously hits the approach behind him to win the point, but just like that effort, that hustle epitomized everything from Francis Tiafo yesterday. And he was like, you could just feel it. He was like, the the power behind his serve was transcendent. Just the force that he had moving forward into the net. You saw everything, again, manifest itself for Francis Tiafo yesterday. And, you know, Ben also pointed out, he's like, it was a 60-40 Tiafo crowd. That doesn't happen against these top guys, Rafa, Djokovic, Serena, etc. They have the crowd usually at their fingertips. To your point, the combination of just positivity, charisma, talent, shot making, just excitement. Francis brings it all, match in, match out. And as a fan, it's really easy to get on his bandwagon when he's performing like that. But to your point, again, 17 of 24 at the net. This match was just played on Francis's terms. You're like, yeah. Rafa was yeah. never comfortable on the first serve. He only made 53% of his first serves. He was never comfortable. That sting on his first forehand, yeah. that inside-out forehand in particular, it just wasn't overwhelming Tiafo's forehand the way it needed to. And then to your point, Francis was like, yeah, I'll play my backhand to your forehand, Rafa, because I feel fine in these exchanges. And with how well he was moving in and out of the corner, how well he was striking that backhand— he was fine. Yeah, and he, I mean, he closes the net so well, so quickly. Oh, uh, so it's close. crazy. I mean, Rafa was, that last match point, well, how often have you seen Rafa Nadal dump a backhand in the middle of the net? Just feels all types of pressure from Tiafo. I mean, Rafa's usually nailed. He, he at least makes you hit the volley. I mean, but how about this? It felt like Rafa seeded the match. Like, yeah, yeah, it was a really tough hold for Rafa to kick off the second set. And when he had that running fist bump after that long point, you felt like, all right, here comes Rafa. But to your point, that last game, serve and volley at love 30 on like a hanging kick serve that Francis crushes cross court mm-hmm. for a return winner. And then you're right. The dumped backhand in the net. Now, look, big picture. Rafa won two slams this year. 
He's got right. the most slams exactly. now yeah, in yeah, men's yeah. tennis history. This was an unequivocally successful year for Rafa, who's essentially playing on one foot at times throughout the course of the season. It, but Francis was the better player I mean, from start that, to finish yesterday. Right. And Rafa won two slams this year. So, I mean, I hold him to the same standard I've always held him to because he's done that. But how often have you seen throughout his entire career a guy have more energy than Rafa in a four set? Very I mean, usually, true. You, usually Rafa's using that as an intimidation factor, showing that he's fresh, running back to the to the uh, to the back fence, running to his towel, like hopping over lines, just always kind of showing energy before return. Tiafa was sprinting to his chair. He was the one that was kind of showing Rafa, like, I'm here to go for the long haul. I've got energy. I've got legs. Like, I'm ready to go. Like, Tiafa just had more bounce in his step to the fin like all the way into the finish, which I was like, that was the difference maker. And I think that's what makes Tiafo not just uh, a kind of happy story to get to the quarterfinals, but a real threat to, to make even more noise. Yeah. I mean, no, Ru- I- Rublev, I mean, that's next round. It's yeah. It's a guy he's beaten. No, and you look for Francis, he's now 8-27 and against top 10 opponents in his career. He'd come close a bunch of times, right? The four-set match he played against Djokovic in Australia in 2021. He'd played Medvedev close in Australia the year prior. He's had some fun matches with Rafa, Federer, Zverev, all the guys over the years. You know, beats Rublev last year in a fascinating and fantastic five-set match in, what was that, the U.S. Open, I want to say third round. Um... This is the signature victory, no doubt about it, for not Francis Tiafoe. Yeah. Not many tennis players have Joel Embiid, Bradley Beal, LeBron James shouting you out for big Oh, this so, Bradley Beal was I in mean, his player box. Like, it exactly. was awesome. Yeah. That, you just don't see that in tennis. So, for tennis to get that type of um, exposure is, is, is huge. Yeah, and I'll say this in jest because you got to report as a reporter and you're doing your job. But to all the reporters who snitched on Tiafo yesterday, I just want to remind you, snitches get stitches. He goes, because he saw the LeBron tweet, and he goes, yeah, you know, I don't want to retweet it immediately because I don't want him to see that I saw it. I'm going to wait a couple hours. Like, that's a G move. That's what you got to do. And yet they tweeted out that he saw it and that he was going to wait for a few hours. It's like, don't snitch on his game plan. Like, now it's not. And now it seems like it was preconceived, which it was. And it's like, come on, guys. He's earned this moment. You snitched on him. Um, But no, for Francis, I mean, just an incredible moment. And you look for him now. It's his second quarterfinal at a slam. Obviously did it in Australia back in 2019. But you just look for him now. Fourth round U.S. Open the last three years. The guy is just a nightmare. Three out of five sets. I mean, you look for him now at the Grand Slams over these past few seasons. Round of 16 U.S. Open in 2020. Last year, third round Wimbledon, fourth round U.S. Open. This year, he wins at least one match at every slam, fourth round Wimbledon. Now quarterfinals U.S. Open. Francis Tiafo up to a new career high, number 24 in the live rankings. He's 24 years old. It's where you want to be. And right now, Fritz is 24. He's ranked 12th. Tiafo's 24. He's ranked 24th. Tommy's 25. He's ranked 29. Cressy's 25. He's ranked 34. Opelka's 25. He's 38. You know, Corda, Brooksby, both under 23. They're in the top 50 as well. Nakashima would be top 50 had Wimbledon offered points. I'm not going to say the next 10 years, but the next seven, like, there's a really good group of seven guys, and there's some you know that doesn't and include Ben Shelton, that doesn't include JJ Wolf, and a bunch of other fun talent. Yeah, exactly. That had a 144 uh, mile an hour serve. I mean, it, the, the talent is coming, and it's coming in bunches. 
Yeah, and Francis has always been the leader of this group. Going back to when he won the Junior Orange Bowl title over Kozlov when they were 15 years old and, you know, beats him in arguably the greatest Kalamazoo final in history, a five-set thriller where, honest to God, if you haven't, go watch the highlights on YouTube. Just search Kozlov Tiafo Kalamazoo and then go read Colette Lewis's recap of the match on Zoo Tennis. It's to date... Colette knows I love her, so I don't think this is a slight of any of her other work. It's her best piece she's ever written. It's just like I, I, I'll read it wow. every four months when I'm bored because right, I'm, I'm like that's just what I do. But for Francis, whose story, if you don't know it already, you know, sleeping in the janitor's room at the JTCC, dreaming of becoming this player for his family to now be able to do that, win in the biggest stage in your home country, in front of your family, against the guy who has won more Grand Slams than any other player in men's singles history. I mean, what a moment for Francis. And he deserved it. Again, he was the better player. And his aggression, his you know physicality, his variety, man, it's a lot to deal with. I mean, any again, yeah. can he win this tournament in your mind? That's – I mean – yeah, I mean, if he plays his best tennis, if he plays A plus big foe tennis, sure, why not? It's like he's all these guys. If they if he catches them and they're not on their best, Schiaffo has the weapons. He's got the defensive skills. He's got the squash shot down. He's got his hands are much better. He's better volleyer. He's got a drop shot now. He's got enough weapons on on a fast hard court with, with a home crowd. I'm not I'm not saying he's my pick to win it, but sure, does he have a chance to win this Grand Slam? Of, uh, 100%. Yeah, he's winning 73.5% of his first serve points. That's a top 20 number on the ATP yep. Tour. And even if he's making less first serves than he has prior in his career, that trade-off right now is beneficial uh, for him. And so, he's, Yeah, he's got plan A, he's got plan B, and he's even got like a plan C, which like he can fall back on. If, if his offensive front foot tennis is not working, I just feel so much better about with him than a lot, than a lot of his other top 15, 20 players he can fall back uh, on plan B and it's just, well, he's got B, C, and D. And mm-hmm. the question was, well, how good's A going to be? And how attackable is that forehand going to be? It's just not as attackable anymore. Like, And the thing is, Rublev is a fascinating quarterfinal matchup for him because he beat him last year, but Rublev's playing really well. And that Andre Rublev serve forehand combination to the Tiafo forehand is just going to give Francis problems, doesn't even if Francis executes as well as he did against Rafa. And again, the final autopsy on Rafa's U.S. Open run, he didn't play well in any of his matches. And he was on one foot. Like, he had played one match since Wimbledon. And you could tell against Rinky, against Fonini, even in that third set against Gasquet. Never served well. Never had his rhythm. The Rafa plays cross-court, cross-court down the line, you know, backhand down the line to bait you into attacking his inside-out forehand. It just wasn't as crisp. And guess what? End of the year, 35, 36 years old, when you've won, already won two slams, when you're 38 and five overall in the year, you're allowed to lose this match. I don't think there's any shame in Rafa's loss to Tiafo. It had more to do with, again, Francis going out and earning that victory. Uh, the serve with, was trouble. Serve yeah, was trouble. you know, he was incredible. And again, I wonder if they're going to give him the night match tomorrow against Rublev. It's because Sinner Alcaraz is, should be the night match. But get, Francis, no, yeah. I, I mean, but Francis is the American. That's why they'll get the Tiafo. I, I would have to imagine. Uh, the, is the night session uh-huh. tomorrow Goff, Garcia, Tiafo, Rublev? No, make it Goff, Garcia, Sinner, Alcaraz. I mean, 
it's a good problem to have uh, yeah. if you're the tournament director. Tiafoe's going to get, like, he, being the American left, I think Ooh, he'll get. I'm going to have to tweet that out. Who gets the I night match? That'll be, that'll be a poll uh, we'll send out. You know, Westoff put it on a poll. We'll tweet it out and find out what the people think. With that said, uh, let's talk about the aforementioned next-gen ATP 2.0. Let's start, and I promise we're going to get to our women's matches as well. But, look, we had back-to-back five setters defining the night, pushing this podcast into Tuesday as we referenced. And let's start with Carlos Alcaraz, who just did Carlos Alcaraz things in his five-set victory over Marin Cilic last night. The combination of athleticism, his ability to play plus-one tennis, the resolve, just, you know, he goes down an early break in set number five only to get that break back, and ultimately for Alcaraz, 6-4-3-6-6-4-4-6-6-3, he takes out a very much in-form Marin Cilic. And I will say this from the Cilic perspective first. A, he made at least the fourth round in all three of the slams he played this season. B, if 26-year-old Marin Cilic had embraced this version of Marin Cilic's just like, I'm going big, I'm swinging at my forehand, and if I miss it, so be it, but at least I'm playing on my terms— Like, that guy wins a second slam, maybe even a third slam, because some of the forehands Chilich was hitting last night, it was like he was slapping down on the ball, and and yet Alcaraz was sliding into it. And, like, I am convinced Carlos Alcaraz can actually track down any ball on a tennis court. There's not a position he could ever be in where I think, nope, he's out of this point. Like, the the kid is just immense. I'm done thinking like that because I did think that a few times yesterday, and I'm just like, this guy is the best defensive tennis player since young Rafa. Like, I just have not seen anybody not give up on balls and then put balls back that he shouldn't even get to with enough on it that he's still, like, these top 20 guys, top 30 guys are, like, they're missing the next ball. Like, the squash shots he's coming up with on a dead run with how much, like, how much bite they have, he made Marin Cilic, like, just look clumsy, like, and slow-footed because it was just so much junk on the ball. And he's coming up with ridiculous passes from 15 feet behind the baseline. It's like, I thought Medvedev was your prototype best defender, you know, with his wings, but the explosiveness and the athleticism from Alcaraz is ridiculous. And it, the fact that he was able to do that for four hours plus yesterday, Cilic was smoking for him. I mean, just tagging corners, tagging lines, and he just felt that much more pressure to hit another line because Alcaraz just continues to chase down balls. And he moved his, his court positioning back in the last couple of sets all the way back to the fence and was just like, hit through me. Like, try to hit through me for, for another two hours. And it was just like, just the stark contrast in playing styles was so fun to watch. It was way different than their matchup in Cincinnati a couple of weeks ago. Way more electric. And the crowd that, that stayed on hand in Ash last night got to enjoy a hell of a show. No, it, it was out of this world. By the way, Goff plays Garcia tonight. That It's a Goff Kyrgios night session ticket. That is just wow. incredible in Damn. New York today. Rublev Tiafo morning session tomorrow or tomorrow, 1 p.m. Wow. session tomorrow, day session. Sinner Elkarez, Sviantek, Pagula, your night matches. By the way, that's not too bad. Uh, that's that's a pretty bad. good session as well. No, you're absolutely right. I, I bring up Marin Cilic swinging freely. 
it didn't matter. Like, you're right. Carlito was everywhere. And you look in this match, 45 winners for Chilich to Alcaraz's 28, but 66 unforced errors to Alcaraz's 41. And, you know, he hit 13 double faults during the course of the match. That's because when Alcaraz got a clean swing on the return, Chilich was probably losing the point anyways. And it's not as though Alcaraz couldn't dictate from the center of the court. He had 28 winners, was 23 of 34 at the net, won 62% of his first serve points, and you know was over 60% on both first and second serves. It seemed to be a tactical thing with, with Alcaraz. He well, to- that's what I say. He almost ceded the match terms to Chilch. He was like, let's fine. We're going to play on your terms. I'm going to beat you anyways. And he did. Yep. That was the most impressive part. Is he seemed to make that decision consciously, and he's just like, I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna throw high tossbin junk at you. I'm gonna splice. I'm gonna, you're gonna try to drop. I'm gonna come up with passing shots. I'll reload. I mean, he just junks up the match. He has the talent to play any style he wants, but the fact that he can also fall back on this playing style and just junk it up and just be scrappy and uh, that, that to me is just like I have not seen this physicality come to a, like a tennis match since since young Rafa, and it's so fun to watch. And he gets the crowd. I mean, just juiced, and I and that's what tennis needs. I mean. There's so many young, entertaining players right now in the game that are coming up the ranks. We just talked about Tiafo. Alcaraz is another one that he's appointment television. And when he has a big match, quarterfinals are on. Like, you just have to watch because the guy's a walking highlight tape. He should be on court center top 10 plays once every other uh, other game. I mean, the level of shot making that he comes up with is ridiculous. Yeah. So Carlos Alcaraz um, becomes the first player since Andre Agassi or the second teenager, excuse me, to reach the quarterfinal of the U.S. Open men's singles competition multiple times. He's on a list now with Andre Agassi. With his win, he also secures a top three ranking. Here are the five youngest players to enter the top three of the rankings. Andre Agassi did it at 18 and a half and six days before Bjorn Borg, who also did it at 18 and a half, who did it four days before Boris Becker, who also made it at 18 and a half. Then you have Rafa, 19 years, three days old. Carlos Alcaraz, 19 years, four months old. Agassi, Borg, Becker, Nadal, Alcaraz. It's a pretty good list to be on, Nate. Not, not too shabby. And then we, we talked about a little bit before the podcast. How about Alcaraz's ability to hit the, the passing shot tweener, the lob tweener? Just the, the, the art of the tweener has come a long way since we, seen Feder, we saw Federer hit it it seems like 10 years ago at the U.S. Open, which was like, it feels like it revealed a new world to tennis fans. But it's just, yeah, the, the show the show continues. And 19 years old, we got a lot more left. Alcaraz, the youngest man to reach U.S. Open quarterfinals in consecutive years since Lou Hode and Ken Rosewall in 52-53. He's also the youngest man to reach three Grand Slam quarterfinals in his career since Michael Chang, who, of course, did it 89-90-91 quarterfinals at the Roland Garros. This uh, U.S. Open men's quarterfinal average age, 24.21. The youngest in a slam tournament since the Australian Open back in 2009. This is also your first tournament, I believe, since 2001, I want to say. No, U.S. Open 2003 was the last time none of Serena, Rafa, Djokovic, or Federer were in the quarterfinals at a Grand Slam. 2003 wow. U.S. Open. It's been 20 years there's this new faces emerging. And you're absolutely right. I don't want to bury the point you just made. It is crazy that the tweener has become a tactical weapon. Like, depending on how comfortable, you're either going to flatten it out. If you're truly on the sprint, you might fire up the lob. And, like, everyone is making it now. I mean, I watched Bublik and uh, Krenabusta play their match in the U.S. Open. I mean, 
I must have saw three or four. How about just, the match point Cranio Busta lob over Demon Hour? Exactly. That that one as well. Cranio Busta is just one of the most under, underrated players in the last 20 years. He's on the short list. I don't know he, if he's... He, he, he's one of them. He's got to be. He's so solid. Well, he's just been in the mix. Right. And I think this Masters title was big for his resume moving forward and how he'll be remembered, but I don't know if he's underrated. I think he's probably you don't underrated. Think, I, maybe he is. I feel like he just gets... He's never on a good like on a good court. He's always just shoved back on court Fair. Point, beating top. I mean, he's unheralded. I'll yeah. agree with you there, yeah. but I don't know about Fair. underrated. Might be okay. my enough. slight quibble uh, with you there. But look, I mean, Alcaraz last night. I know we're not pointing to specific points. Oh, it was this two-three backhand decision Chilich made. Like, no, Chilich had to go for it. There had to be some extent of let it fly because you're just not going to beat Carlos physically trying to grind him down, particularly at this point. Yeah, no, Chilich, again, was up a break in the fifth, um, but just wasn't able to sustain the level of execution needed to knock off Alcaraz in five sets, and that that level of execution has to be as high as it is, and Alcaraz is just 19 years old. Uh, Just remarkable. I want to also talk about his quarterfinal opponent, Yannick Sinner, who at 21 years old becomes the youngest player since Novak Djokovic back in 06-07 to reach the quarterfinals of all four slams this early in his career. We're comparing these guys to Nadal, Becker, Borg, and Djokovic. So yeah, we got a couple special ones on our hands, folks. And we were texting throughout this Yannick Sinner match. Yeah, he ran a little hot and cold last night. But the first set, the third set, the ending of the fifth, you know, Sinner ultimately 6-1-5-7-6-2-4-6-6-3 win over Ivashka. Yeah, he was up a set and a break uh, in sets number one and two before letting that lead slip away. But just the power he's able to generate, the fact that I thought he was stiff when he was younger. I didn't think he was going to be that good of a mover. He, he freaking was, no, is. He I mean, is fluid. Like, he is fluid now. That's I think that's the thing, though, is why he's been able to transcend and get to where he's at. He was stiffer when he was— Okay, so it's not just me who thought that, right? No, he was getting out of corners, moving forward. It was just a little robotic. It was. I mean, he was still slapping the ball, but he could not— Yeah, he could not absorb pace and deliver and and kind of add pace like he can so freely now. Like, his ability to just juice up a ball or absorb pace with his just fluidity is is at another level than it was two years ago. I think that's why he's able to— I mean, why he's a top 10, top seven, he'll be probably top five very soon type player. His, yeah, and it's not to mention his service beefed up. His, uh, yeah, it's just center has come around. I did not think he was going to be able to kind of formulate his body into being this kind of athlete. But his mental is, has always been, I think, his uh, number one weapon, in my opinion. And his ability to just lock in point after point and just stick to his tactics so well and hit his patterns. And hitting the big big targets and just wait till his he gets a sitting forehand or sitting backhand. And now he's able to come forward and finish off those points a little cleaner. He's he's been very impressive. Ivashka was playing unbelievable tennis, waxed Hubie Hercoc, beat up Muzetti, comes in red hot, and center handles the guy that comes in with no like really Ivashka was playing freely, really no pressure for him to do anything more than what he already did. That's a dangerous player and center to come out of there in five, um, somewhat unscathed. 
is was very impressive to me. Well, there were two different, you know, there were a bunch of different phases, I should say, in the match. Phase number one was just Sinner overwhelming Ivashka from the baseline. Just the pace of the Sinner ground stroke. Ivashka didn't have time for his big forehand backswing. Didn't have time to lean into that uh, backhand because, well, he was pushed so far behind the baseline. And then about halfway through set number two, Ivashka said, you know what? I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to go a little bit bigger. And, you know, Sinner really struggled on serve. He only made 46% of his first serves. That allowed Ivashka to step in on his return and just take a little bit more aggressive positioning in the court. But credit to Sinner who found ways, whether it was serving and volleying. And in this match, 27 of 32 at the mat, uh, at the That's- net. I tweeted this out. Sinner's got hands now. Like, yeah, he, he really is a comfortable volleyer. To your point, in Stay set number so well. four, in set number really three, four, and five, Sinner did a much better job of just absorbing the pace of Vivashka and on the slide, sort of rolling his backhand deep cross court. And, you know, anytime he got a look at a neutral ball, he turned into his forehand, did such a good job of spreading the court. I just like every decision Yannick Sinner makes out on court. And he definitely gets a little more fired up than he used to. But he also gets a little more frustrated than he used to. And I think that's a trade-off that has to happen. If you're playing with more energy, you're going to feel it both positively and negatively. You know, he got a little flustered at the end of set number four. Came out a little slow in set number five, but he rebounded. And again, the last two sets he played against Nakashima, the three sets he won here against Ivashka, I've seen five sets of really good tennis from Yannick Sinner. Now, there have been some bad stuff mixed in between, but like— yep. Him versus Alcaraz, I'll tell you what. You know what I'm doing tomorrow night, Nate Dog? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I've got an appointment myself, a bike, you know, on the on the stationary bike. You know, I'll, I'll wrap up an hour on there while I'm watching this match. I may order a pizza afterwards because I've earned it. Because, I, as I mentioned, I was just on the stationary bike for an hour. Um, this is all future me. Now we are looking into the future. And I'm, enjo- I'm, I'm kicking my feet up and enjoying the gift the tennis gods have given us. Because this is a gift. This is. No, and Sinner, his, just the backhand. My last note on him is his ability to get that left hand on top of the ball and get that short angle cross court backhand to open up his forehand cross court is just that's the pattern I'm looking for him to do damage with against Alcaraz just to open up that forehand and he he just takes a crack at the ball I mean his back he's got so much control with the backhand it's I, I think it's it's a new generation of players it's like a lot of these we, we were used to seeing the forehand dominate but now you got Tiafo, Curios, Coco, Sinner even Alcaraz these backhands are just the two-handers it's, it's another level right now you can feel it viscerally every time Sinner wants to go cross court because of how he works his hands. You can just see it. You're like, oh, he's going yep. cross. And it yep. makes sense. And no, it, it's absolutely splendid. You are right. But with that said, let's move on now and let's move over uh, to the women's side of the action because it was a really fun day number eight on the women's side as well. Again, three of our four matches ultimately go the distance. It wasn't the best match on the day, but I want to start with Iga Sviantek, Nate, because I think Iga's played not well throughout the course of this 2022 U.S. Open. Then you look for the number one seed. She's into another slam quarterfinal at the U.S. Open. She hasn't faced a seed yet and dropped her first set of the tournament in round number four, albeit earned her, I think, 19th six-love set of the season. Sviantek, a 2-6-6-4, 6-love victory over Julie Niemeyer. Here's my thing with Iga, why I think big picture – 
this U.S. Open has been so beneficial beneficial for her, it's because she's playing so poorly. And yet, she's played four opponents all ranked outside the top 50, all whom she should beat. And even when playing poorly, it still feels as though she's in control and she's still beating all of these opponents. Now, credit to Nehemiah yesterday, and I said this going into the match. If you listen to our GSP Ace of the Day preview shows, Nehemiah's just got weapons. Like, her ability to go big line with that backhand in particular. You know I love a good backhand, Nate Dog. She's got one. Yes, her forehand grip can be extreme. And ultimately, Sviantek did a really good job winning out by attacking that forehand. But when she catches it right, ooh, with that grip, you just you're never sure where she's going. Her inside out is special. She did a really good job of attacking Iga's second serves. She just didn't have the physicality to hang with Iga. And this is where it's always worth remembering. Iga's 21 years old and just the totality of things she can do on the court, you know, extending the match physically, taking more returns on the rise. She really is one of the great returners we've seen in the past 15 years on the WTA tour. And she's 21 freaking years old. Imagine how much better she's going to get. I just, that's what makes Iga so special. We talk about having plans B, C, and D. And she is the most optimum version of that in that she can win with her fitness. She can win with her aggression. She can win by moving forward to the net and credit to Sviantek, 18 of 24, and really started turning things around when she got that break back in set number two, closes it out by coming to the net, making an easy volley that you really just had to put in where after she had put herself in such an advantageous position with her forehand approach. And she did that. And it's just like she always makes the right play. Well, that's not true. She will definitely get a little slap happy. But she always finds different ways to manu- you know, to win points. And I think that's the most impressive thing is she can be better at everything than you. And she's better at scheming at everything than you. And I, I think, yeah, to your point, I don't know if she's played her best tennis. I think the match that I looked into the most was against Sullen Stevens where she was going to see someone with weapons on kind of both sides and uh, an athlete of, of Sloan's caliber. I, I believe what three of her four opponents have been outside the top 100. So there really hasn't been a need for her to be. Yeah, but Nehemiah should. Nehemiah made quarterfinals of Wimbledon, right? So that ranking right, so, is a little bougie for her. Right. So yes, that's fair. But it's just like the the level of opponent for Swantek overall has not been there, in my opinion, for me to completely judge her level and kind of kind of give her a, a rating of where I think she her level is. I do think I watched a lot of the Sloan match. I thought she looked very clean in that match off the, off the ground. Um, yeah, Shrontek's still a title contender. I thought, yes, like Niemeyer, like you said, has some weapons, but just not the level of athlete that she's going to see moving forward. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, ah, man, I really like, though, the attitude with which Niemeyer played, and I think that's mm-hmm. what she's going to see moving forward because you look at the draw for – I guess Pagula is a little bit different. That match gets a little more physical, but Pliskova, Sabalenka – Garcia, who are all potentially yeah. on the horizon for Iga, she's going to get some big hitters. And I'll tell you what, credit to Niemeyer who took that ball early on the rise and just, you know, didn't allow Iga to get into her bag of tricks, forced Iga to be reactive and not proactive out on court. But credit to Iga, who then started taking the ball a little bit earlier, did a really good job of stretching uh, Niemeyer to that forehand side before approaching the backhand wing, but forcing Nehemiah to have to hit that backhand on the full sprint. 
I mean, look, Iga's got a lot of tricks uh, uh, in her bag. And again, it's always worth yeah. noting Iga Sviantek, 21 freaking years old. Nate Dog, you look for her now at the slams in her career. She's now already made five quarterfinals. 21 years old, five quarterfinals, two slam titles, uh, you know, a semifinal in Australia. Uh, she's going to be favored. Pagula's an awfully advantageous matchup for her because what are the weapons yep, Pagula right. do- has to overwhelm Iga? You wonder if Iga sprays little, yeah, she could get in trouble. And again, for Iga, you look in this match, all four of her matches, she's had negative winner to unforced error ratios, 19 winners against 31 unforced errors again today. Pagula's going to make you pay for that more than other opponents will. That said, how are you feeling about Iga? Is she your favorite on the women's side right now? I think so. I think she's just so – she's just – I just trust her tactics and kind of – like even her B game I think is is good enough to win against some of these players. Like if she's playing – Iga's so dominant. Like she, she's got the Kerber signature backhand where she looks like she's sitting on the ground. Like she's just such a good athlete. I, someone's going to have to play very well to take out Iga Swantek in, in, in a best of three match here. Uh, one of these girls can for sure do it. There are some girls with big weapons, like you said, Sabalenka, Azarenka, uh, Garcia, Coco Golf, obviously. But I, I still think I have Iga Swiatek as the favorite. I really want to see Coco Golf play against her. I think Coco's athleticism and power could give Swiatek problems as well as her fitness. But um, no, I think Swiatek. I, I don't think there's any time. There's no time right now to panic. I think she's in a, in a good spot. I know her prior, she's not brought her A game, but I do expect her as World number one to, to kind of bring that as this tournament gets deeper. It feels yeah. like Iga's, Iga's tournament starts starts now. Yeah, I mean, certainly she's not going to have the luxury of working her way into the form the, that she had earlier in the event. But no, I'm very much excited uh, to enjoy all of all all of these matchups. I think you look at all eight quarterfinals, and we talked about it on the men's side. For what it's worth, on the women's side, there's only one remaining slam champion and that's Iga Sviantek. The other seven would be first time champions and all due respect to you, Isla Tamjanovic, who I just, I don't see three more victories for her of this caliber, but all other of the seven players are great stories. You have Jabur who made a Wimbledon final. Pagula has been the most consistent player, not named Iga or Barty week in, week out this season. Sabalenka, the upside, we've all seen it. For Pliskova, she's been world number one. She's been the Andy Murray on the women's side. Will she, won't she win a slam title for so long? You have Goff as a teenager. You know, Garcia, who's won double slams, has this precipitous fall from the top 10. Now she's clearly back. I like every story. I really do. I think all the storylines are fun on the women's side. And I look, there are going to be a lot of like right now. Are there people in the draw who are playing better than Iga? Yes, I think Pliskova is playing better than Iga. I think Garcia is playing better than Iga. That's true. Garcia's I don't know so if anyone well. else is definitively playing better. That Kudamatova-Jabur match was incredible. And Jabur is just one of the, my favorite athletes to watch perform. I think Jabur is so damn talented. Yeah. Like, I, I, who are you right now? Last, I got a question. Who are your favorite, your top three WTA players to turn into right now? Like who, who are you not missing in a match? Well, I'm glad you bring this up because now I can transition to this last match. And I know you got to go soon because you've got tennis point things to do. So we can go a little bit quicker here yeah. through these final matches. I apologize, listeners. We're not going to get to spend quite as much time on them. But number one is Arena Sabalenka, who kind of put that perfectly on display last night. I mean, it may be a show. But, like, you just have to watch because yeah. you just never know what's going to happen next. And, you know, her and 
Danielle Collins, who she was 3-0 against going into last night's matches, they had played, uh, or, you know, they played a 25-minute two-game stretch, 3-2 and 3-all in that second set. Sabalenka had, like, 12 break points. Mm-hmm. Uh, Collins ultimately holds. Then Collins has a couple of break points, but Sabalenka ultimately holds. And from there, Sabalenka sort of began to separate herself. And for Sabalenka, it was a 3-6-6-3-6-2 win. Her power, like her last, I think seven losses at the slams or six losses, a have all been in three sets. B, she's now made the quarterfinals in three of her last five slams. C, her power tennis just keeps her in the match. And there are going to be five minutes where you ask yourself, should Arena Sabalenka be a pro? Like, shouldn't she be on the challenger tour? Shouldn't she be at the ITF level working on her consistency? And then there are going to be 10 minutes where you're going to ask yourself, is this the best player to ever hold a racket ever, men's or women's tennis? Because she took this on-the-rise scoop, forehand down the line, inside in, plus one ball winner off of a 100-mile-per-hour Danielle Collins return. And and Collins was just like – she looked at her box like, what am I supposed to do? Like, this girl does that. And – that's what makes Sabalenka so compelling is, A, you have the talent. B, you have the ups and downs emotionally. You know, as loud as Collins's come on gets, she emphasized, you know, you emphasize the yell in Danielle Collins. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sabalenka got just as loud. And, like, it was just amazing. It was just, like, was, everything that, you that want. That was theater. No, that match was yeah. incredible. I felt bad that Danielle Collins, the serve was just, I felt like 24% serving, I think, first serve or something great, 34. It was like the lowest. I saw Rothenberg tweeted. It was like the lowest first percentage uh, he'd ever seen. But, I mean, Sabalenka, a lot of that was because of her return, just blistering returns back to the baseline. And Daniel Collins felt the pressure all night long, even with the, the her, home, her home country crowd kind of being there for her. Sabalenka was just – this is what she, – she takes – she had, what, two match points faced in round two – the fact it that she's got was down six run. two five one. Exactly, I mean ridiculous. And the fact that she's on this run now, it finds herself in a quarterfinal again. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for her. She's yeah. she deserves it. I mean, she's like you said, the ups and downs of her her matches and her career. It's like, I, is this her chance to, to take home a title? But she well, she said this is her chance. To I, I think dream. she had a shot at Wimbledon last year, losing to Pliskova three sets in the semis. I think she had a shot last year here in at. The U.S. Open losing to Fernandez in a three-set semifinal. I'll never forget I was driving to Tennessee for the Knoxville Challenge listening on the radio call as Sabalenka lost that 4-5 service game. And I was like, no. I was like, if she would have served first in the set, she beats Layla Fernandez last year. I mean, look, Collins was awful on serve yesterday. She, she only so made bad. 38%, as you mentioned, and 12 yeah. double faults. And just like you could tell it started to seep into every other part of her game as the match mm-hmm. went on. But – Credit to Arena. Like, she survived long enough that ultimately the poor serving, you know, Collins wasn't able to manufacture enough other stuff to stick around in the match. And, yeah, I just think Sabalenka is as dangerous because her upside from on a point-by-point basis is just, like, she can win every point she plays. She can lose them all, but she can win every point she plays against anyone. We've seen the power tennis before from her. We know that's obviously, when that's working, she's unstoppable, but... The shot that stuck out to me the most last night from that match, I think, was the high backhand stick volley down the line that just, like, Daniel Collins tried to just mug a, a backhand cross court just to, as hard as she could, and Sabalenka was all over it. Backhand stick volley, just a firm. And I was just like, wow, if she has this part of her game where she's feeling confident to come forward and stick a volley, Sabalenka, the intimidation factor and just – 
That's what I'm saying, tall. though. Like, she can move, too, for someone her Six size. Tall, like, yeah. moves really, really well. And that combination of movement and power, it's just special. And, like, if she ever reins it in, finds the 75% ball, like, I've said it before. I'll say it again. The women's game's f- Because, like, she has the cheat code. Our friend Jeff Sackman at Tennis Abstract always likes to joke, in Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club, in the owner's suite, there's a safe that has never been cracked before. And when you eventually crack it, you'll open it, and it's just going to be a picture of Sabalenka. And it's like, this is actually her Power Tennis Country Club, and we just haven't figured out the secret yet of how to unlock the safe. But, no, I'm all in on Sabalenka. She's been exceptional. All right, I'm going to rapid-fire takes for these last three because I know you got to go. Pliskova Azarenka. Carolina Pliskova has required three three set victories, but you know she is moving awfully well right now. And to watch her beat Benchich in the fashion she did, to watch her get off to the strong start and then pull away in that third set with her power tennis against Azarenka, that was that was another big time match. I like who I I think Carolina Pliskova is playing well enough. Like I do think her Caroline Garcia are the players who are playing closest to their best right now in this yep. women's draw. No, it's true. Azarenka seemed to kind of fade uh, in that yeah. one because she was overwhelmed by the power from Pliskova. Uh, Pliskova is such a, like, what is she, 6'2", 6'3", just another big-time athlete with just limbs everywhere and mm-hmm. just seeming like she just she, she doesn't look like the most explosive athlete, but she just kind of glides across the baseline and finds finds her, her, her groundies are just so powerful and so heavy, um, slapping the pure drive with, with, with some force. I thought Azarenka had chances, but Pliskova just – in the end overwhelmed her and I think she's another threat to win this I mean the women's draw is why I mean as much as I, I said I think Shvantec is the favorite it's still wide open I mean Shvantec has to go win this title there's just so many girls with big weapons and any of them if they find their front foot tennis and, and kind of find their a game it's gonna be trouble yeah, it's certainly, I mean, again, Pliskova Sabalenka, power tennis at its finest, an explosive quarterfinal. How about JPEG getting over that Kvitova hump, ultimately straight set victory for her. She's into another slam quarterfinal. This time it's in New York. She's going to take on Iga next. Pagula has been as consistent as any player on the WTA Tour. I think it's her eighth quarterfinal of the year. They've pretty much all come at the big events. Here's the thing. She's faster than you think. Like, she moves better than I – she has elevated herself. If not an elite mover, she's in the very good camp. And and now there's also a little more pace behind that serve as well. And it's just like if she gets to the ball, the drive she's able to generate, it just makes you uncomfortable. And she had Kvitova uncomfortable. Her and Jabir are in that sneaky athletic, like athletic. Ooh, that's an like, interesting comp. I like that. I like that a lot. You, I watch her and Jabir, and I'm just like, are they? How are they at? Like, how are they getting to these balls? You just don't. They don't look as explosive as some of the other girls, but they are. You have, you cannot hit through these. Girls, well, I right? think they anticipate really well, and I think their first steps are that explosive. Like Jabir's sure. first step is nuts like just the amount of ground she covers how well she changed directions for pagula i think it's the top speed like i think she's really good moving forward and it has translated laterally like all of a sudden again she can scoot Mm -hmm. no she can i i just can't believe how solid she is across all surfaces i mean she's so good she's just so good yeah material barrettini the guy just they they don't lose great cross cop Yeah, no, they're I mean, the gateway players. Like, you want to be top 10, you better beat me. Because if you can't mm-hmm. beat me, you got no shot. Like, they um, both have weaknesses that you can that you can pick on, but good luck. I mean, 
you got to find those over the course See, of See, I don't know. Hours. What is the JPEG weakness? Like, her forehand, you can overwhelm it a little bit with pace because it gets a little bit flat for sure. But when, flat. She's, when she Caroline hangs— Caroline Garcia and Cincinnati showed Pagula yeah. kind of the weakness. I mean, I got to see that pretty close. And but I guess, Garcia. Mike Connors, you better have elite pace if you're going right. after that Pagula forehand. That, and by the way, that. only the best of the best do. That's why she is who she is. What was impressive yesterday is that, it, and perhaps it's because Kvitova is a lefty and Pagula has the backhand perfectly suited for that, but she had had some trouble, you know, against higher ranked players, against these power tennis players, and she just was able to dish that first strike tennis back out yesterday to Kvitova. Uh, I was extraordinarily impressed, but the guy who's playing the best plus one tennis right now and is sadly going to be the final thought here on today's show how about Andre Rublev straight sets over Cam Nori? To do what he did against Shapovalov, the level of that match over the course of their four-hour, five-set thriller, he sustained that level against Nori yesterday. And what was really impressive was, you know, after winning a tight first set, he gets the break right away to start number two, set number two, holds on to that break. Pulls away in set number three. You know, Nori was really struggling moving forward yesterday, but that's just because Rublev... And, you know, the backhand passing shot Rublev hits to break for 5-4 in the third, sort of epitomizing that fact. But, like, Andre, welcome back. Andre just, yeah, yeah, yeah. he really needed this run of beat Chapo, beat Nori, kind of assert yourself as, don't forget, I'm one of the guys. And mm-hmm. he did that here this week uh, week in New York. I think he fell into the top 10, and I, I actually got to see him at the McEnroe event um, before the event started. And you can just tell it like there wasn't a doubt and like he wasn't doubting, but he was just kind of talking with us. And he was like, uh, somebody asked him like, is this your last event of the year? He's like, you know, if I do like, I'm going to play more. If I do well, this could be it. He's like, he's like, but I need to win something. He's like, I really need to win something. And the fact that like, it wasn't like, he was like saying like, this is going to be a, a really uphill challenge, but like, he's got this urge that like, you know, he's got to prove himself again. He fell out of the top 10. He hasn't won a big tournament and he was hungry. He was ready to go from the beginning of this tournament. Uh, I thought the match versus Shapovalov was one of my favorite matches of, of, of the tournament so far. And he just came out of the gates against Nori on a mission. I mean, he just looks – he looks hungry for a title. I mean, I have to say, I think he, like we said earlier in the show, a lot of these young guys are seeing that they can they can be the one that breaks through. Like these, these top dogs are out or, the, or they're going to be out, and the door's going to be open for a new slam champion. I think Andre Rublev sees himself uh, fit for the job. And, I mean, I'm, I'm happy for him as – I mean, he's just a, he's such a nice guy. It's such an easy guy to root for. His energy that he brings to the court as well. I mean, he's been embracing every moment he's had this week. Can I give one stupid thought on Rublev? So he got a lot of credit for hanging out and signing as many autographs as he, he is, did. every match. And, okay, can I give the counter? I'm going to yeah. zag here. Yeah. I, I, Wouldn't I mean, you do yeah. that if you were yeah. pro? Like, yeah. isn't that I'm, like, how yeah. can you not enjoy being adored? Like, I, I, I know that's the most ego thing in the world, but you've been with me when someone recognizes me at the Western Southern Open, and it's like, how are you not going <laughs> to smile and be happy? You're like, yeah, yeah I got I, recognized. Let's go. I love Blair Henley, but it's just funny. Like, she's been shouting out uh, Rubla for, for staying out. I'm like, like yeah, Rubla, like, this guy was put on, like, a, a small court for the first three matches this week. Like, of course he's going to embrace the spotlight in New York. He's a top. It's just funny. That's what I'm saying. Um, I'd be like, yeah, no f- Like, of course I'm going to, like, do it. Like, I'm a celebrity. You know, there's not a lot of us out there. So, no. and I know maybe that sounds obvious to those of us who aren't famous. And you're like, oh, but they're taking that extra time. They're all sweaty. They're doing all this stuff. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, man. Like, it, if someone's shouting your name and adoring you, it's not that hard to be like, you know what? I'm going to walk over there. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to see what this is about. What's all this noise of people who like me?
I saw on Instagram, uh, somebody put up a video of Rafa walking by and somebody was taking a picture of him and then he walked over and actually like took the picture with him and started walking by and like, just saying, it's like, even the top guys that have been here for 20 plus years, they're flattered that a young kid wants a picture of them. Like, of course, if you're 23 years old, 24 years old, and you're a star in a, a big city like New York City, and you're from uh, across the pond, like, yeah, like, it's a, it's a big deal to be recognized by all these young fans, and they want your towel, they want your sweaty shirt, they want your hat, they want your racket. It's like, you break a racket, and these kids are, are treasuring it as gold. It's like, that's a pretty sweet, pretty cool feeling, I'm sure. I, I haven't felt that before, but I can only imagine. 100%. It's like, it, to me, it's a layup, and I get it. It's like, players going above and beyond, but like, again... We're asking you to go above and beyond to be adored. Not the worst <laughs> thing in the world. With that said, you know what? We adore the support we get from our friends at Tennis Point day in, day out here on this show. And again, how can listeners go support our friends at Tennis Point? Go to tennis-point.com. Use that promo code CR15. Nate Dog. anything we should expect from you guys down the home stretch of this U.S. Open? Oh, that's a uh... – no, our guys are still we're, we're working out at the Western or at the U.S. Open. Not we're, we're no longer in Mason, Ohio, but it's our first year, so I'm I'm sure the team is is battling up there. Just long, like just crazy hours. I mean, you open the stores, the storefront opens up at like 9:30, and the matches don't the matches end at 1 a.m. So it's a uh, shout out to those guys out there working hard at the retail store. I'm I know it's uh it's fun, but it's a lot of work. So shout out to those guys. Absolutely. Well, again, shout out to you guys for your support. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. Shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who has a f- of an editing job to do day in, day out. With that said, of course, we will be back tomorrow and every day recapping all of the action that happens in New York. With that said, for our fantastic guests, Tennis Point's Nate Walworth, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Nate Dog. what do we tell our listeners? We tell them that's the break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you, as always, my friend. Thanks very much, folks. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Thank you.